Welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast that is actually a 12-year-old trapped in the body of a 30-something. I'm Becky, and I'm the podcast host, most likely to go down, down, baby, down, down the roller coaster, sweet, sweet, baby, sweet, sweet, don't let me go. Shimmy, shimmy, cocoa pop, shimmy, shimmy, rock, shimmy, shimmy, cocoa pop, shimmy, shimmy, rock. I met a girlfriend, a Triscuit, she said, a Triscuit, a biscuit, ice cream, soda pop, vanilla on top. Ooh, Shalita, walking down the street, ten times a week. I met it, I said it, I stole my mama's credit, I'm cool, I'm hot, suck you in the stomach three more times. I'm Chris, the podcast host most likely to learn that the person he's dating has actually been 12 years old this whole time. Oopsie. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Seth, the host most likely to be laying in bed in a cheap motel eating a whole sleeve of Oreos, watching a shootout on TV, while a shootout is also currently taking place right outside my window. (laughs) You do live in Hollywood, so... (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Guys, it's November, and it's the time of the year when we give thanks and share our gratitude for one of Hollywood's best leading men, Tom Hanks. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone! Oh, I'm so hankful. (laughs) I'm so ready for the turkey. Which one is the turkey and which one's the gravy? You're gonna have to listen to this episode to find out. Jumping back in the DeLorean a Saturday morning Cause we both be cynical or radical But was it good cause we were young? Was it good cause we were dumb? Do we think it suddenly sucked? Now we're jaded and all grown up there was so much that we loved Do we think it'll make the cut? Will it be a fantasy or will it be fun? Decades later will it still hold up? This is when we were young When we were young So we've been doing this podcast for six years and we have only briefly talked about Mr. Tom Hanks. He appeared in the film A League of Their Own and Saving Private Ryan, our episodes on those films. And we brought him up even more briefly during our episode on In-N-Out as his Best Actor Oscar speech for Philadelphia, (laughs) where he thanked an acting teacher who happened to be gay, inspired the movie. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I had forgotten all about that connection. (laughs) Completely forgot we did an episode on that. (laughs) I was like, In-N-Out, we did a hammer episode? What? We did. But we reviewed the In-N-Out of the 90s and 80s. <laughs> yes. Which hasn't changed. It literally didn't change, no. So just those two and a little bit times are all the Hanks we've made time for in six years. And yet he's been all <laughs> over our childhood. He was in the Toy Story movies, Turner and Hooch, Joe versus the Volcano, Sleepless in Seattle, Apollo 13. And the two movies we'll be covering in the next two episodes, 1988's Big and 1994's Forrest Gump. Yeah, it's really perfect for Thanksgiving because I think of all actors, Tom Hanks is considered like the all-American kind of actor. He's kind of like the successor to Jimmy Stewart. So good timing. 
Also, it rhymes with Thanksgiving. Yes. So <laughs> Can't understate that part of it. He's America's dad. America's dad. And it's uh, a family friend. I don't know if this episode will be family friendly, but the movies are family friendly. We've never had a family friendly no. episode. No. No. If you came across a Zoltar machine when you were 12 years old, what would you have likely wished for? I'll go first. I definitely would have either wished to have lost weight, have a boy I like like me back, or meet JTT in person. And honestly, it's probably just JTT. <laughs> My answer is Becky's answers <laughs> on every single count. <laughs> like, truly, maybe a little bit less intensely for JTT, but he's up there. <laughs> maybe it's like Jonathan Brandis <laughs> instead of JTT. Yeah, it depends on is it am I in the beginning of being 12 or near the end? Because I think like closer to 11, I was more all about him than I don't know. Well, yeah, the, it's funny you say that because when you said like 12 years old, it really put me in a bind because I was like, <laughs> I it, it would be easier to say what I would have wished for at like 16 or 8, you know? But like mm-hmm. 12 really is that in-between year. What would you have wished for at 16 and 8? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, well, no. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you about. Yeah. No, at 12, I honestly think I was like a pretty practical kid. So I probably would have like set myself up with a career and like enough money to like <laughs> live out my, you know, preferred lifestyle as a filmmaker and writer. So it probably would have been something like grand like that if it had to be a little bit smaller in scale. Probably to meet like a favorite author or something like that, or to like mm-hmm. maybe even go back in time and meet like the writer of the Wizard of Oz books or something. 12 might have been like slightly old for that kind of wish. So that's the younger kind of wish that I probably would have made. And later, I don't know, it, it probably would have just been something sad, like, make me popular. <laughs> you know, so, you know, some kind of, like, change me in all sort of physical and <laughs> social ways to, you know, be more like other kids and stuff like that. But at 12, I think I was a pretty practical kid. I've read my old journal entries where I'm, like, talking about career stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it honestly would have just been, like, get me a good job, you know, and, and some nice income. Yeah. And maybe Jonathan Taylor Thomas. You yeah, know. why not? Throw him Toss in there. In. All right, that was a nice thought experiment. <laughs> JTT-centric. <laughs> Let's learn about Tom Hanks. Thomas Jeffrey Hanks was born July 9th, 1956 in Concord, California. When his parents split in 1960, Tom and two of his siblings went to live with their father while his youngest sibling stayed with his mother. He moved often as a child, having lived in 10 different places by the age of 10. Tom, in interviews, has said that when he was a teenager, he was a geek, says Hanks. I was a geek, a spaz. I was horribly, painfully, terribly shy. At the same time, I was the guy who'd yell out funny captions during film strips. But I didn't get into trouble. I was always a real good kid and pretty responsible. Sounds on brand. Yeah, honestly, just he branded early and stuck true to that. (laughs) Despite his shyness, he acted in school plays and studied theater in college. He dropped out of college to work at the Great Lakes Theater Festival in Ohio, and he won the Cleveland Critics Circle Award for Best Actor for his 1978 performance as the villain Proteus in Shakespeare's The Two Gentlemen of Verona, one of the few times he's played a villain. Hmm. The next year, in 1979, Hanks moved to New York City and starred in his first movie, a slasher flick called He Knows You're Alone. (laughs) He Knows You're Alone. The werewolves are here. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad I don't have a roller coaster. Thank God for a small thing. Don't you like to be scared, Abe? No. Most people do, actually. I mean, like to be scared. It's uh, something primal, something basic. Horror movies and the roller coasters and the House of Horror ride. I want to go on that next. (laughs) You can face death without any real fear of dying. It's safe. 
You can leave the movie or get off the ride with a vicarious thrill and the feeling that you just conquered death. One hell of a first-class rush. Don't tell me you're a psychic. Oh, a good deductive guess. <laughs> I'm most interested in fear, the emotion of fear. For example, why after seeing Psycho were so many people afraid to take showers? Not me. I never saw the movie. You were afraid, right? You bet. Fear fascinates me. People pay to be scared. When you think about it, it's real ridiculous. How ridiculous. That's the word I was looking for. He's a lot better than that movie deserves. Oh, I agree. I actually think I was kind of into his performance. Uh-huh. It's crazy how he is just literally Tom Hanksing from the very start. <laughs> yes. Riley interjecting, just leaping from reference to reference and topic to topic. He's very natural. But doing it like folksy and amiably in a way that everyone just loves and congregates around. He's literally like he is on brand from the first <laughs> role he ever had. But, like, everyone around him is in a bad, like, Lifetime-ish movie. So it's like, he, like, does a Tom Hanks monologue for, like, two minutes. And then the woman next to him is like, that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's the horror part, is he's Tom Hanks condemned to a world that cannot understand or appreciate his talents. In 1980, he was cast as one of the two leads of Bosom Buddies, an ABC sitcom about two men who pretend to be women to live in an all-female dormitory. Oh, we so we have actually mentioned him again because we talked about Bosom Buddies a little bit in our episode on Mrs. Doubtfire. That's right, we did. And all the like movies where men dress as women in disguise. When we first moved to New York, we had a great apartment that was dirt cheap. And we found out why it was so cheap. Our friend Amy said there was a great apartment in her building. Dirt cheap, but it's a hotel for women. Okay, we made one adjustment. Now these other ladies know us as Buffy and Hildegard. But they also know us as Kip and Henry, Buffy and Hildy's brothers. I am uh, crazy about the blonde. (laughs) This experience is going to make a great book. See, it's all perfectly normal. What I find interesting about this trailer slash the opening (laughs) is that there's, I think, one shot of them in women's clothing. And isn't that the whole premise? Yeah. And yet they were like, look how masculine we are. Oh, yeah. It's so interesting. They know that they like have to sell the manliness of them, I guess. But like, that's the premise of the show is right. that they dress as women. <laughs> anyway, that was definitely his launch pad. I don't know if it was a breakout role, but it was a launch pad for him. As a, well as a shoulder pad. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> Thank you for that. In 1982, Hanks guest starred on Happy Days, where he met a team of writers named Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. That's one of my favorite (laughs) names of all time. Who were working on a romantic comedy called Splash, about a man who falls in love with a mermaid, to be directed by Happy Days star Ron Howard. Hanks was cast as the lead in the film, which turned out to be a hit, and with that, he had a film career. But it was the 1988 movie Big, which cemented Hanks as one of Hollywood's top leading men. So Big, if you were not familiar, is a body-switching movie. There have been body-switching movies for as long as there's been cinema. Actually, I don't know if that's right. (laughs) I just made that up. But there were a lot over the years, and there were even more in the 80s when Big came out. But I just wanted to go over a couple of body-switching movies that maybe you didn't know before Big was released in theaters in 1988. In 1941, there was a movie called Here Comes Mr. Jordan. The logline is, Boxer Joe Pendleton dies 50 years too soon due to a heavenly mistake and is given a new life as a millionaire playboy. I've seen that movie. I saw it this month. Did you really? (laughs) 
Was it good? Yeah, it's pretty good. They remade it with Warren Beatty in the 70s. And it was like, I think they were both Best Picture nominees. What was the one in the 70s called? Was it Heaven Can Wait? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Oh, yeah. Please tell me if you would watch this movie based off the logline. Oh, okay. 1978, Heaven Can Wait, starring Warren Beatty, a Los Angeles Rams quarterback accidentally taken away from his body by an overanxious angel before he was meant to die, returns to life in the body of a recently murdered millionaire. I would watch that. (laughs) I did watch it, so I guess I would. (laughs) Yeah, Chris would have watched it. (laughs) (laughs) Would watch, would not watch. It's a weird body switching movie because everyone else sees him as the other guy, but he's still Warren Beatty. So you still see him in his own body. Okay. So there's not as much like physical humor. Oh, okay. 1964, the movie Goodbye, Charlie, with Tony Curtis and Debbie Reynolds. Womanizing Charlie is shot by an angry husband and falls in the sea. He arrives home after his memorial as a cute amnesic woman. His old friend helps her slash him. Haven't seen that one. Um... (laughs) I'm not dying to see it uh, based on that description. Yeah, I'm not clamoring for a ticket to the revival of that. Okay. <laughs> 1976, we had the movie Freaky Friday, not with Lindsay Lohan, but with Jodie Foster. We all know what Freaky Friday is about. Uh, I'd see it for the Jodie Foster of it all. I think I've seen that, or at least like parts of it um, as a kid, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I've seen clips of that. I just haven't seen... I saw that... I think... it Wasn't there a Haley Mills version? That's Parent Trap. Oh, Oh, is that Parent Trap? Okay. okay. (laughs) I was confused. Yeah, okay. I confused those movies, too. This is like a switch, not body switching, but switching places. It's a switcheroo. It's a switcheroo. It's a trading places kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. 1984, the movie All of Me with Steve Martin and Lily Tomlin. A dying millionaire, why are there so many millionaires, has her soul transferred into a younger, willing woman. However, something goes wrong and she finds herself in her lawyer's body together with the lawyer. I hate it when that happens. (laughs) I do want to see that because I love Steve Martin and Lily Tomlin and I've heard about and seen many images from that movie um, (laughs) from various work projects over the years, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be good. 1986, Willie slash Millie starring (laughs) Pamela Adlon. What? And Patty Duke. (laughs) Pamela Adlon is the young girl in this. Tomboy Millie wishes to be a boy as she's tired of her mom pushing girly stuff on her and boys are, are freer. After an eclipse... She slash he wakes up with a willy. He gets a haircut and starts a new skull as willy. Oh. Did I mention these are the IMDb log lines? <laughs> I did not make these up. I want to see that. I want to see that right now. This title is Willy M- Millie Willy? Willy slash Millie. Willy Millie. Willy Millie. <laughs> should be called Millie's Willy. I didn't. Yeah. And I didn't take that title nearly as literally when you said it at first, but Wow. Yeah. 1987, Like Father, Like Son, starring Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore, a mysterious potion switches the personalities of a buttoned-up doctor and his laid-back son. Seems pretty classic. I'm gonna pass. (laughs) It's a pretty classic premise. Mm -hmm. Chris, would you watch? (laughs) Yes, I I would out of, like, not thinking that it was good, but because (laughs) I kind of want to see Kirk Cameron do, like, a lesser version of Big, just to... You know, just for my own personal mm. shot in Florida. <laughs> All right, there are two movies. It was in almost. I, sorry, there were two other body switching movies in 1988, the same year as Big. 18 again with George Burns, an aging, ruthless businessman swaps bodies with his grandson in the wake of getting into a car accident. Hell yes, I will watch that. <laughs> 
18 year old George Burns, why not? I don't know how they possibly pulled that off. Like, Was that the first de-aging special effects they did? <laughs> <laughs> and the same year as Big again, uh, vice versa with Judge Reinhold and Fred Savage. Oh, right. It was based on a body switching movie from 1948 called the same thing, vice versa. A divorced executive named Marshall and his 11 year old son, Charlie, casually touch a magical Tibetan skull, releasing a mysterious power that transfers Marshall's mind to Charlie's body and vice versa. Their problems have just begun. Not a day goes by when I don't casually accidentally touch a very rare skull. <laughs> I have that problem on a near daily basis. I love the, the word casually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they wanted that emphasized. <laughs> I would watch that. I like body switching movies because I like fish out of water comedy and that's kind of similar because it's usually someone in a persona that's not native to them. So even though I think a lot of these movies are probably bad, um, because a lot of 80s comedies that aren't, like, super famous are bad. I think that they tend to offer really interesting insights into, like, what people were thinking about gender at the time, because a lot of times it's, like, a gender switch mm-hmm. or an age switch. Like, it, it tends to be, like, a really good way to, like, measure, like, what society was thinking at that time about whatever issue the movie's kind of based around. I also think it's always an interesting showcase for actors, because they're inherently innately doing something that's inhabiting a different, like, physicality than the character that they're otherwise playing. And I think that's a challenge for any actor that kind of shows their skills in one way or another, or doesn't. All right, let's talk about Big. Big was directed by Penny Marshall, was written by Gary Ross and Anne Spielberg. No relation. Uh, There is definitely a relation. (laughs) I have it right here, is that Spielberg's sister wrote this movie and she co-produced it. And she's only listed as a writer on three other projects total on IMDb. And I'm just like, what happened there? She was nominated for an Oscar for this and then never wrote again. Strange. Was this just like the song of her heart? Like this was like the one thing? It was a one and done kind of deal for her? I have no idea. Were the other titles big ones? We don't have to like go into them but like okay so those were like all minor Um, in comparison either she had a terrible fight with her brother (laughs) in which he blackballed her or probably she just wasn't interested she clearly had you know some talent with the script and being nominated for an oscar so i think if she wanted a career (laughs) she probably could have just asked for it it was just it was very strange that i saw the spielberg name and i don't think i've seen like another spielberg in a movie like listed and she was nominated like it was just like kind of shocking well i'd also be curious if she was like a script doctor over the years like maybe she did you know behind the scenes writing work on a lot of things maybe. and we just don't know about it maybe yeah. i hope she's making her own fablemans <laughs> <laughs> meet the spiegelbergs it's like a uh, rashomon <laughs> they have they all have their own what it's me it's josh Josh? 
You look terrible. Big stars Tom Hanks, Elizabeth Perkins, and John Hurd. It was released June 3rd, 1988. The budget was $18 million, and the box office was $151 million. It was the first feature film directed by a woman to gross over $100 million. That's big. Big is about a 12-year-old boy named Josh who feels the way most kids his age do. He's not big enough to ride the really fun rides at the amusement park. The pretty girl at school doesn't know he's alive, and he's embarrassed by his parents. When he comes upon a Zoltar fortune teller machine at a carnival, he wishes to be big, and he wakes up the next day in the body of a 30-year-old man. Big was nominated for two Oscars, Best Original Screenplay for Anne Spielberg and Gary Ross, and Best Actor for Tom Hanks. The reviews of Big, the movie currently has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it received almost universal acclaim upon its release. John Simon of the National Review described it as an accomplished, endearing, and by no means mindless fantasy. Did you guys see Big when you were little? I know I did at some point. I'm pretty sure I saw Big when I was between 8 and 10. You know, like that kind of range, where it was clearly before I was the age that Tom Hanks's character is as a kid. Like, I was definitely not in that phase of my life yet. So it was interesting. I remember at the time being really interested by, like, what that age of a kid's life was like in comparison to my own. I remember really liking the movie. I remember really liking the whole conceit of the Zoltar machine. I enjoyed it when I, like, first saw it. And then I literally don't remember having seen it any time since then. I can do you one better. Um, when I was small, I did not see Big at all. <laughs> okay, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> did you see it in a trunk? <laughs> I did not see it in a trunk. I did not see it with a skunk. Did you see it on a bunk? Did you watch it now while drunk? <laughs> yes. No, I did not see this movie. I saw moments of it, I think, because it played on TV a lot. I feel like it was on TBS or, you know, something like that. Like, obviously, a very family-friendly movie to have on the, in the daytime. On I was weekend. just thinking of TBS and, like, just thinking to myself, they didn't have to cut anything from this movie. <laughs> no. But I never, like, sat down and watched it. And I actually thought that when I went to watch it for this podcast, I would probably remember some scenes or moments. No, I didn't remember really wow. anything. I knew Not even the piano. No, I knew of the piano scene. Like, I knew... Really, all I knew about this movie was that it was a movie where little boys become big and pianos become even bigger. (laughs) (laughs) That is the central drama of this film. That's the parallel dramatic relationship in there. So I knew there was a big piano, and I think I probably have seen, you know, at least clips from that. But I misremembered the scene as I thought maybe he was going to be there with Elizabeth Perkins. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that, like, he was there with his boss, even though I'm sure I, like, saw that image at some point. And I thought, like, watching the movie that, like, it would come back. Like, it was going to be, like, a big callback to, like, come back to the piano. Like, maybe he brings her the second time, and they have... You know, a big kissy moment on the piano just because it's such a big part of what people remember about this movie. And I don't think it was on the poster at the time, but now it's on the poster. Like, he's on the piano, you know, on iTunes and stuff. So, yeah, this has always been one of those big... Sorry, that one was an accident. These big 80s movies that I haven't seen um, and kind of at least over the past few years, kind of was like saving because I knew we would have to do it on the podcast at some point. You saved it for the pod. I did. I knew somehow that it wasn't going to be a movie that was like, he turns big and then he's at school, like being big. Mm -hmm. Like I knew there was some kind of like, he goes into the adult world, but I honestly had a hard time like predicting what this movie was going to be about because like, I really didn't know 
any of the plot beats besides jumping on a piano. So this was one of my sister's movies. So in 1988, I was five. And this is also the year that Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out. And that was the movie I wanted to see. My sister wanted to see Big. And I remember us being like in a fight, like what movie will we get to see? And I did not want to see Big. I was like, we have to see Roger Rabbit. (laughs) And then like, I think we ended up seeing both. (laughs) I I was going to say, it's easy to split the difference on a conflict like that. But like, because my sister is four years older, anything she liked, I felt like I wasn't allowed to like. And so Roger Rabbit was my movie and Big was her movie. And when we eventually both recorded uh, both movies off of like cable or whatever (laughs) on our VHS tapes, I would be like, I'm not watching Big because that's Chelsea's movie. Like, it wasn't like I was like angry. It was just like, that's not the way the world works. I can't like that movie. (laughs) I didn't make the law, but I have to abide by it. Movies belong to one person. And if one person (laughs) has claimed the movie, no one else in the world can watch it. Film is proprietary like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was because she's older. And it was like, well, if she likes it, I'm not going to like it. The Goonies was another one where that was my sister's movie. And so I didn't even bother watching it. Um, eventually I did watch big (laughs) and then I grew up watching it. Like I've seen this movie a million times, but it just, at the start, it was very much, I'm not allowed to watch this. (laughs) I've watched the hell out of this movie a lot. I, I don't own it on DVD. It was definitely a movie that was on cable a lot. So growing up, I didn't really need to watch it on a VHS. It was just always on. I remember revisiting it a few years ago, but by now, like, it's just so, I know everything that, like, Chris, when you said recently, like, you've never seen it, I was just like, what? (laughs) And I think, like, some other people I know have never seen it, and it just seems like one of those movies that I'm shocked that people haven't seen. I've gotten that reaction uh, before. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. What did you guys think now? I think this movie is perfectly okay. It's very sweet and not always in a dumb way. There are some really genuinely sweet moments in it, like his relationship with his best friend, I think is genuinely very sweetly and, you know, well drawn. I just think that this is such a lightweight confection of a movie that it's astonishing to me that it's somehow become seen as like one of the classic movies like of all time, not just of the 80s. This movie often ends up on those like lists of all time best movies and literally nothing about it justifies that classification to me other than people's affection for Tom Hanks. I found it pretty much instantly forgettable, not just like after watching it, but during watching it, I kept losing interest. Over time, there are just long stretches of this movie that kind of meander or like kind of make the exact same character beats. But I think it's fine. Like I don't, I didn't hate it. I never thought Penny Marshall was a great director, but she does like a perfectly serviceable job telling the story of just like one of the biggest, most high concept pitches for a movie ever. Like it's, of of course, there's that kind of high conceptness to all kinds of body switching movies, but I just think even that it's a movie that can pretty much stand to be on autopilot just because of how high concept and inherently outlandish that premise is. Again, just Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks is it from the beginning <laughs> and does a great job. I think he does a great job. I think he do- has a lot of fun inhabiting that younger character and does a really great job. And I mean, I have like big difficulties with some of the narrative juxtapositions of this story that we'll get to later. But again, it's like, overall, I had an okay time watching it until my attention kind of just wandered off until the movie kind of got back on its feet. And it was fine, but I just definitely came away thinking it's pretty overrated. I love this movie. I still love it. 
I had a great time rewatching it. It had been a few years. I find it to be iconic because it's definitely the best body switching movie there is. I think that it has the most heart, best performance in it from a body switching movie. I mean, I just, I love Tom Hanks's performance in it regardless of the genre. It's just so much fun. It's, it's a very simple premise, but I really think the emotions are earned and I feel for his mom. I I think that it's just smartly done for what it is. Like it's a romantic comedy slash coming of age <laughs> movie. And it's, and it's just like a fun comedy. And I think it works. I think the jokes work. Nothing in it made me roll my eyes. There's maybe like one scene <laughs> that we'll get to later that I was like, mm, I don't know about that today. But I just think it's great. It goes down so easy. I would show this to my daughter, you know, in a few years. And I think that she'll get the same thing out of it because I feel like even though it's very of its time in regards to like the clothes and you know the kinds of toys they're talking about I feel like it's a very timeless story about childhood and adulthood and it's trying to say a lot of timeless things so I feel like there isn't anything too dated about what the movie is really about I just found it so much fun to watch I really enjoyed watching it again since you had me go last what do you think do you think I like big I think I don't like I think you liked it I suspect you liked it yeah (laughs) I mean what Seth was saying was a lot of my reaction just coming to it from the first time like I did enjoy the film and it made for a perfectly lovely first time watch and overall I would say I liked the film but I was surprised by how lightweight it is in terms of story and plot and how little like happens in this movie there's not very much complication of the story like after like the initial becoming big like it doesn't add on very many like complications to that it kind of just like marinates in him being big and there's a lot of ways that you could imagine things getting more complicated if like the police come after him thinking he's like the kidnapper of of his younger self because his younger self has gone missing someone at work you know kind of doing like more investigation of him and like you know figuring out that he like has no past. That's not what the movie is. No, but I mean, it it feels to me like it kind of is missing extra developments that, like and, and complications from this. Like, it feels like a very kind of rosy sort of yes. look at how this would happen that doesn't feel very realistic because there's all kinds of actual complications of being an adult. You know, like, I encounter adult problems that I don't know how to figure out and I was not 12 this morning. You know, it's like he gets by really easily and the story just, like, kind of meanders it's like it's not really clear like what his arc is going around like eventually he wants to go back home but there's not like a lot of beats on the way that are like kind of making him either want to stay more or go more like he just kind of seems very fine with this like early on and then everything is kind of fine like there aren't like big problems that arise there aren't it's kind of becomes just kind of like a rom-com with him and elizabeth perkins that is almost like a regular rom-com like the the fact that he's an adult it's not forgotten because it's like very much a part of every scene in some way but there's not a lot of like really strong comedy or you know like jokes or like even really like super sharp lines in this movie like i was expecting a lot more like sharp comedy i disagree like the shot of him like trying what is it like escargot or something or oysters or something at the party and his like physical comedy of him like (laughs) Like, but But that's physical that's just a physical comedy like gag thing okay here's another one i mean when he's uh applying for the job and he said that he went to like 
George Washington. They're like, oh, GW, like, did you pledge? Yes, every morning. <laughs> like, li- lines like that, like, made me, like, crack up. Uh, that's not, I think that's cute. It's not funny. I find it funny. I cracked oh, up. I, I wrote I it down. <laughs> this is, like, this is the opposite of, like, an LOL type of movie to me. Like, it's oh, not, like, a I laugh was, out loud funny experience. I was experience. laughing through it. When, when he's, like... Like, I get to be on top with the bunk beds. Like, these lines I That's found to be good very one. funny. That's I, a good one. I like that one. But I, I agree more with Seth on this and that I think a lot of them are lightly amusing. But, like, I often write down, like, really funny quotes that I think would, like, make, like, good episode titles. There weren't that many in this movie as I was expecting for, like, a classic comedy. Like, there aren't really lines that you can say that people are like, oh, that's a line from Big, you know? I guess I like the tone that it hits. It's very, it was very interesting watching this, like, from more of, like, a critical point of view than just, like, putting it on and enjoying it. It's It shows kids in, in a very mainstream comedy way, be careful what you wish for, because, like, when he goes to that hotel and it's very scary and he's all alone. But, like, it's definitely, like, a wish fulfillment thing for a kid. But I think that he doesn't really learn anything until he's with Susan, their, like, boyfriend-girlfriend, they're going to, like, dinner parties... And I think it's for the adults watching to relate and and see, like, don't hurry up to, like, grow up. Your childhood is, is worth enjoying. And I don't know, like, it felt like to an, it felt like I was speaking to adults more than the kids. So when he when he actually goes to be an adult and, and is almost like, OK, I give in. I'm going to be an adult now. Like, forget going back home. His best friend is there to remind him, like, actually... Like, don't do that. Don't rush to grow up. I don't know. Like, it just, it struck a chord in me. Like, it was trying to say something without being, without being too over and without being too over the top. It felt like a really mainstream, but not, like, hitting you over the head, a lesson learned. Yeah, I feel really divided, actually, on this point, because on the one hand, I think it's a really nice counterpoint to a lot of 80s and 90s comedies that are overly plotted, especially, like, comedies, and and they end up just becoming tedious because they have to resolve all these, like, extra conflicts that they throw in, or just, like, things that feel artificial. And And external and plot-based. Yeah, we have, oh, we have to have a villain, so we're gonna have this, like, kooky you know cop after him right and that's why i do not agree like it should have just been about his like psyche not cops finding the kidnapper or whatever i I like the slice of life part i like that approach to it i just don't think that there's much in that slice of life that's revealing of a character so much as you know those kind of like generalities about being an adult like chris you were saying like just without really delving into or hitting any of the deeper more conflicted more uncomfortable more unhappy aspects of growing up that i think are the exact kind of things that actually would confront kids as they grow up becky i agree with you in the sense that it does seem to be speaking to adults but i think it's a story that's about kids when he's he's just kind of a non-character in a lot of ways, which works for the naturalism, because I like that he's not, like, a precocious kid, or, like, mm-hmm. he's, like, a very every kid. Like, he mm-hmm. feels yeah. like a kid that was, like, your cousin growing yeah. up or something like that. But, like, it's, like, all he wants to do is play. He doesn't seem very concerned about going back home. It, he doesn't really want anything. He just kind of wants to, like, hang out and have fun, which I guess is what a lot of 12-year-olds want. But for a movie, it just feels like there could have been a lot more setup of him as a character. The whole setup is very, very 
brief. And the only thing that happens is he goes to a carnival and can't get on a ride and wishes to be big. But like, I really wish that there was a lot more there of like, he's getting punished at home and he's like, I can't wait till I don't have to deal with like my parents. Could be like clear that the girl that he likes is only into older guys. I thought that was kind of clear that she was without, I mean, everything you said, I felt like the movie did in a more subtle way. Like his parents are at the fair, like waving. And I'm like, okay, he's embarrassed by his parents. Like they, I thought they did it pretty like succinctly because they want to get to the big part. We want to just have a flavor of like, okay, things are not going his way. I can fill in the rest because I've been a 12 year old and I know how that feels. Like I don't need more specifics. It's just like there's embarrassing parents, can't get on the ride, girl is into an older guy and that's all you need. That's all I needed at least. Like I wouldn't have minded more, but I I feel like I want to get to the big part. I think you need more. I think it's relying on you to do a lot of the filling yes. in of those details because the movie doesn't actually tell you. It seems like he wants to be tall. Like the, the movie could be well, called tall. Maybe yeah. that was his wish and and it was the monkey paw version where he just wanted to be tall. And right. It but I, I just think like more setup of like, oh, he's at school. He's like, oh, I can't wait till I'm like not in school and I can just have a job, you know, just like to set it up as more of a like, be careful what you wish for. And again, like that would just have added more drama to it, which would have made the comedic stakes higher and would have made it funnier. Yeah, I think it just needed like a little bit more setup of like, oh, like here's a kid who is thinking about being an adult and and kind of yearning for that in certain ways, even in just superficial ways. Like, oh, I wish I was taller and not in school and didn't have to have my parents tell me what to do. But then, like, gets that and then, like, in the broadest beats, that is what the story is about, but I don't feel like the actual script really hits many of those beats. It it feels very much more like a hangout movie. And then at the end, he kind of randomly is like, ah, I guess I'll I'll go back now. I I don't see it. I don't know. Like, he, I think that they gave a time. They're like, you need a list of where this carnival will be. It'll take six weeks. He wants to go home, but he's like, okay, I have six weeks. So it's almost like making the best of a bad situation. And But then he starts having fun. I mean, he even says in his letter home, it's it feels like summer camp. Like, he's just enjoying himself. And I think that him in that section isn't really the person having an arc. He's the one influencing all the adults that are very, like, business, 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 very serious. Like, Susan and the people at work are inspired by him and they're the ones that have the lesson of like maybe I need to be more childlike and maybe I need to take life less seriously and competitive and very like what you think an adult should be he's the one that's like coming in to inspire these people especially Susan like what you see in that scene with the trampoline where she's just like so like oh I don't want to get on that you know and then he like kind of makes her and she's having like the time of her life and just at work also where like his point of view wows everybody like wow like how I didn't think of that way like it shows the good things and bad things of being a kid and being a grown-up and I just found that really interesting was kidnapping just not that big a deal in the 1980s it was a big deal he was on a milk carton It just wasn't a big deal in this movie. (laughs) I'm sorry. His mother, the way she acts, the lack of constant urgency and desire to, like, kick ass to find him and beat down every door, that struck me as so unrealistic. Well, she's barely in the movie. Yeah, but she seems to be the the focal point of his family life. Yeah, but it's not about her. I know. It just, I, I felt like any parent would have exerted a lot more effort to actually track him down and bring him home. But maybe she she did. The movie's not about her. It's from his point of view. But wouldn't you be more worried than he is about your mom freaking out, like probably crying herself to sleep every night? No, he's 12. (laughs) 
12 is old enough to, I mean, any age is old enough well, to he, know. But. He does, like, call her and, sen- and send her letters and stuff, you know, to be like, I'm okay. Hello? Hello. Mrs. Baskin. Yes? How are you? Who is this? I just wanted you to know that uh, Josh is all right and, he, and he's okay and everything. You have my boy? Yeah, and you're going to get him back just the way he was. Look, I swear to God, if you do anything to him, if you touch one hair on his head, I will spend the rest of my life making sure you suffer. Wow, thanks. Let me talk to Josh. Oh, he can't come to the phone right now. Why not? Why not? What did you do to him? I didn't do anything to him. I think he's a terrific kid. I want proof that he's all right. Uh, all right. Um, a- ask me something that, that that only he would know. Then I'll ask him for you, and that way you'll know that he's okay. Ask him what I used to sing to him when he was a little boy. Isn't there something else that you'd rather ask him? That- ask him. I got it. I got it. Memories like the corner of my mind. Misty watercolor memories of the way we were. Scattered pictures. Look, you're gonna see him again really soon. I, I promise. I cross my heart and hope to. We'll talk about this later. I'm sorry, that just, it beggared any factual sense in my mind. Again, I think it's a very cute movie. I don't think it's a very good story well told. I just don't. I just, I think that, like, everything you guys are saying would make it a more serious movie and more about the plot of he's kidnapped or he's missing versus it's not about that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the best comedies, the ones that I think really deserve to be called classics and considered classics, like, the best American comedies rely on drama between characters and drama that reveals character. And, like, this movie, I think, is literally just that actual deus ex machina playing out over an hour and a half and it's very amiable and Tom Hanks is very nice and he's a good boy but like there's so little else to it it's shocking to me that this is considered a classic in the way that it is I feel like that was really missing for someone who's coming to this movie fresh like maybe when you're a kid and you see it like that's you're not automatically worried about the mom because like that's not where your perspective is but when you come to it as an adult it's really hard to forget like that character's turmoil and no i don't want this to become like a serious a more (laughs) serious movie i don't think it has to do that but just to acknowledge it in some way like even if it's a really funny way i thought they did though like she was on a milk carton he does write her letters he calls her it gets forgotten like early on there's a couple of touches but but i don't think it's about his mom and it's not about him being missing from home it's about him making the choice in the end should i go back to being a kid because that's why i don't think there needs to be this big thing about him he like forgets about 
about it. And I think that's on purpose. It's deliberate that like the friend, the best friend is like, hey, remember you wanted to go home? Like, hello. And then it's up to him whether he chooses to do that or not. So versus him like trying to track it down this whole time. Because then it's the more dramatic choice at the end that he's like, you know what? I'm actually like, I should be a kid, not like have a job and a girlfriend. Yeah, I promise I will say some things I like about this movie. (laughs) But there's one like, thing that goes into this whole like setup as well that I feel like I have to bring up which is the whole getting a job thing is very odd it just like his go his going to New York City and living in this weird dingy apartment and then like immediately like getting a a corporate job feels very like an odd decision for a 12 year old to make where his paycheck is $187 and he then immediately is able to move into a New York high rise <laughs> apartment. I think he gets a raise after that. Yeah, He gets a raise. Cause he becomes like VP of whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But still. Also, I bet he got a credit card and has no idea what limits are. And has no, (laughs) without a social security. I mean, there's like little things like that, that, are less yeah. realistic, but you know, like who wants a movie about like tracking down your social security number? <laughs> I wanted the Social Security Administration to come beating down his. Do- no, I'm kidding. Um, I feel like the job thing was important because that's what adults have. It's a big thing of being an adult, and it. I felt like in the world of the movie, which is like exaggerated, like him being like, like he. The movie opens with him playing with computers, so he's like, "Oh, computer, I can do that," because it's really low on the totem pole. It's just that he happens to wow the boss, like the main boss, which he doesn't even go about trying like he just happens to run into him and then like he's not suddenly like an adult trying to like be competitive and climb the corporate ladder it just kind of like falls into it i mean side note fucking 80s movies man like you just show up and you get a job (laughs) yeah that's how it works there's a couple of numbers missing on your social security oh oh 12 says here you've got four years experience yes all on computers yes where did you go to school uh, it was it was called george washington oh gw my brother-in-law got his doctorate there did you pledge yes every morning Yes, like, he needed to get to this point in the movie, and that's good. But I feel like, as a kid, like, he should have, like, at first been like, let me try working in, like, an ice cream shop or an actual toy store or something. Like, I felt like there could have been, like, more of a, like, montage, and maybe it's, like, hard for him to get a job at some of these places. Like, he kind of fails at it a little bit and then ends up at this place. Because I I just think, like, getting a, like, as a 12-year-old, do you really want to be at work every day, like, in an office doing, like, a boring computer job? It felt like a big leap, and I, I felt like it needed to set up more that he needed like you know he needs the money because of course you need money but like I feel like you needed to see him like running out and like having a day where he like is like oh oops I don't have money I'm starving like what do I do I guess I need a job like it just it was too much of a like quick like oh I'll just get a job and then he gets a job like everything just happens so quickly and easily and there's not really time for it to really develop the actual conflict of like oh I'm an adult now I need to figure out a way to take care of myself well I think like to bridge the gap between all of our positions here, (laughs) the sides that have been drawn. I think Becky's point is well taken that 
that's not the point of this. Even though the kid Tom Hanks is playing is embodied by a full-grown person, the point is that this is a child, and it's a child's perspective. So from that standpoint, I understand that it's just like, you go to job to do a business and and make a money. (laughs) That part of it I understand, But I just think that the fact that it is such a fantasy and therefore so kind of broadly and generally drawn makes it have less impact for me as the kind of comedy that really makes me like that hooks me in and gets me laughing. Like I just do prefer a style of comedy that is more deeply character based and and based in a deeper drawing of someone's personality and like the things that they really, really want at their core. And to Becky's point, that's really not what this movie is about. This movie is about inhabiting the fantasy of, like, kind of having won the time and space lottery, you know? And again, it's like, I I just think personally that an approach to that that brings in more of who that character is as a person would have made it funnier and would have made it more dramatic. But that's just very much not what this movie set out to do. Yeah, I just think it could have been... I wanted more, like, what does he expect and then what does he get? Like, even if he's, like, gonna go work at a toy company, maybe he thinks it's gonna be, like, super fun and everyone is like going to be like playing with toys all day and then he gets there and it's like super corporate and that is what he gets there but it doesn't set up that his expectation is any different than it's going to be like a boring office so there's just like a lot of things that i think could have gotten you more into the mindset of a kid like a kid wouldn't immediately think that this is the kind of job he should get like a kid would think more of like where do i want to spend all my day like at an arcade and you know like there's just a lot of like like it just feels like you're going through like, those things probably happened, you know, like, off screen, but I, I wanted to see more of his thought process and feel like an actual kid would end up in this situation, because, like, he basically just, like, is a 12-year-old who picks the perfect job for him to then excel wildly, and it's just, like, this, yeah, it's a crazy thing that doesn't happen, you he know? He kind of gumps his way up the corporate ladder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, be yeah. But I think what I kind of realize in the point that you just made is that I, I think I agree. I think that this movie doesn't do an effective job of consistently conveying it from a kid's point of view. And really, to open a big can of worms, I think that, in part, this movie has an adult's perspective about this in the ways that it becomes like a generic rom-com, like a romantic comedy, in the story between him and Susan, played by Elizabeth Perkins. I think we need to talk about the fact that this movie centers on a love story of a child (laughs) seducing an adult woman. I would say the other way around. It's mutual. I don't know if he's it's seducing mutu- her. Well, it's there's well, mutual She's definitely effort. the driver of he, most She's of it. the mini driver of it, yes. <laughs> Here's a, a little bit of a complaint I have about this movie. Sometimes he is playing it more like somebody prepubescent than a 12-year-old. Like the scenes, especially in the beginning with Susan, it's like there's no sexual tension. And I don't know about you, but when I was 12, I definitely wanted to kiss a bunch of boys. <laughs> You were chatting with JTT online. Yeah, like I was definitely like had crushes and was awkward around boys. Same. He's not awkward. It's almost like there's no sexual intention at all. I feel like there's a little bit of that later when he's like, I forget what they say exactly, but he's just like kind of hitting her. He kind of hits her with a newspaper when she like says kind of something that's, you know, betraying her true feelings for him in a way. Yeah. And he's kind of recognizing that, but he doesn't know how to react. Yeah. And I felt that was good. But a lot of it, I felt like 
was like, is he eight? <laughs> There's moments when he's like, he does like a, he's eating something at a restaurant and then he like opens his mouth. It's like a seafood moment at yeah. like some stranger. And like, that's not something a 12 year old. He does. also eats baby corn. Like it's corn on the cob. <laughs> I love that's it. Funny. That was that's genuinely genuinely funny. The, I think that might've been the funniest thing in the movie to me. And it lasted like a while. <laughs> It lasted a while. It was so meticulous in doing it. I did honestly love that moment. I also really liked the moment where he like showed up at the like corporate dance party thing at the bar in this insane like bedazzled white tux with like a long tail on yeah, it. Yeah, I think the physical comedy in this is great. He does some really good physical comedy. But stuff. also like, were you playing with toys at twelve? I think I still was a little bit. I was like... Maybe like have... Nerf guns? <laughs> but... I still had action figures at that point, and I, but I was getting more into like storytelling with it. So like I was almost like writing with toys at a certain point. But, um, but like I was at an age where I was like a little... Like I knew that it wasn't like cool. Like I wouldn't like tell everyone at school that I was doing this. It was like, I'm going to go play with my toys now. You yeah. know what? I think I was exactly the same way. I know that I had my toys and I think I did still play with them, but it was a thing where it was like, it was a means to an end to like kind of do storytelling and just make up stories. Yeah. So I feel like it's a little like maybe in the world of jobs, if you're 12 working in a toy store or, or a toy company seems exciting when everything else seems really boring. But like, 12-year-olds are more into, like, 12-year-old boys. Video games, sports. He does play video games in this. He plays computer games. Yeah, but I'm saying that, like, him in the robot, like, Transformer thing, and, like, him having this perspective of what makes an awesome toy, it just felt felt like he was a little bit too old for that. Yes. No, it did feel like he was, like, eight. Yeah. He had that, like, energy of, like, an eight-year-old. Very much, like, a lot more, I think, wide-eyed about the world and a lot more fresher to the world even than a 12 year old would be i think he's written as a kid in general and they're not necessarily thinking like he's not written as a 12 year old he's just written as a kid and so sometimes that comes off seeming like a 12 year old but sometimes it feels like he could be five or eight or whatever yeah i just if i had if i do have a complaint about this movie i felt like that was something I noticed this time was I was like, he's playing real young in a lot of this. Still a very good performance. I just feel like it's maybe with the writing and the performance, it feels like he's like seven years old versus a 12 year old who wants to be cool or cooler than they really are. And yeah. And so that I felt like could have been more like specifically 12 than Younger. Yeah, like when you're 12, you can have conversations with adults, you know? You're... Oh, I did all the time. Like, that's yeah. what I would do at parties is, like, seek out the grown-ups and, like, talk to them and, like, try to get the download on what's going on. <laughs> yeah, and he also, like, in many scenes seems to have no idea about sex. Like, not just, like, obviously he's inexperienced because he's 12, but, like, doesn't even get it. And, like, at 12, like, I think he would know more what's going on with some of Elizabeth Perkins' like, insinuations. Like, clearly, like, he wants to touch her boobs and kiss her so he has like a sex drive for a 12 year old but yeah a lot of it i felt like should have been a little bit more awkward between like oh my god a girl was liking Mm me (laughs) i wish you could all see the face Mm -hmm. becky is making it is so perfect let's talk about that scene Do you think that scene would exist today if this were made today? I don't think any of this relationship dynamic (laughs) would exist now, nor should it have existed. I don't think this plot should have been in this. Just a a romance. Yes. Like, it is is wrong and not just in a way that, like, people would only understand now. That's weird even then. 
I'm not sure we should do this yet. Do what? Well, I mean, I like you and uh, I want to spend the night with you. Do you mean sleep over? Well, it's, yeah. <laughs> okay. But I get to be on top. And again, I get it that the movie is not attempting to realistically engage with, like, the truth of the situation. That it is very much just, you know, showing you the fantasy of it. And showing you the fantasy of it as a 12-year-old would take it in. But I think this movie kind of jumps lanes a little bit when it pivots toward this kind of romantic comedy relationship and the dynamic. And she like straight up seduces him she doesn't know he's 12 so you can't blame her she does figure it out herself at some point no after she she, she doesn't have any idea right that's and that's fair she doesn't have an active awareness of it she doesn't know he's 12 until he's like she doesn't even believe him when when he says i'm actually 12 and there's a machine and she just thinks like fuck you you're lying to me or married or something like yeah i don't i'm just i'm creeped out by the dynamic in this movie i think it's well i don't find her to be a creeper i think but it's but i think that's why it it passed like because she didn't knowingly do this and at the time in 1988 the general consensus was like lucky kid like getting getting some um which i don't think is a thing today Today, more people would be like, that's a 12-year-old, that's inappropriate, like, mentally. And if it was a young female woman who got put in the body of an older woman and found a man, that dynamic, I think, would come off a lot creepier, or a lot. the creepiness of that dynamic would come off a lot more readily to people than it did, but for the exact reason you said, because with boys, that's considered, like, scoring. Right. Um, I do appreciate that this movie doesn't really show anything farther than he touches a boob and they and they kiss and then but the cut to where he's like super happy the next day at work like is implying they had sex yeah but 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 i but i appreciate that they never out out using anyone say it and be like when we had sex the other night or you know like it's corn kind of like you just like implying it's still like a little it toes the line it does because she's not a creeper she doesn't know she's 12 and he lets it happen (laughs) he's he doesn't he doesn't say then hey actually i'm not ready for this and she's like no you know like so it's yeah it's it's a it's a hard one it doesn't really bother me you know it's not something i can wholeheartedly endorse but (laughs) wholeheartedly (laughs) wholeheartedly only (laughs) half-heartedly they are as far as everyone knows you know like peers in the moment like there's a magical thing that's happened obviously but yeah i don't know it it didn't really bother me because i guess i saw it as like he the same kind of the same as if he were 12 wanting to have sex with a 12 year old girl because he's now 30 Mm -hmm. doing that with someone 30 so it's like is that a little young probably yeah but and she doesn't know so she's not coercing him in any way so picture him as he's 12 in a 30 year old man's body but kissing a 12 year old girl like not cool right (laughs) exactly it's like and that's just above all else i think that's why that kind of story would never get made again it would be tricky. I mean, I almost wanted to see like him with a 13-year-old girl just to see like some awkwardness of like is he still attracted to this 13-year-old girl? That might be even more problematic in a way, but like I think it would be 
truer as well of just like seeing it it would be interesting but again that's not this movie was going to appeal to as many people as possible so they kind of had to like make it not (laughs) what am i trying to say like it's a fantasy yeah it is a very broadly appealing fantasy yeah they can't make it too realistic otherwise things like this pop up where you're like if they brought up like him making eyes at a 13 year old girl like it's just too creepy because it's tom hanks Let's talk about Tom Hanks. I loved his performance. I thought it was completely the right call for him to be nominated for an Oscar. I don't really know what else was out that year. He didn't win, but I loved his performance. What is it? I haven't told you something because I didn't think that you were going to believe me. And even if you did believe me, I didn't think that you were going to like me anymore. So. Oh, come here. You can tell me anything. What? Susan, I'm not what you think I am. What do you mean? Before I met you, I was in Little League. Um, I was in Little League, and I rode my bike to school, and I played with my friends and hung out with them. And jo- Josh, what what are you what are you talking about? I want to go home. I miss my family, Susan, and I want to go home. Oh my God, you're married. <laughs> no, no. I knew that this was too good to be true. No, I not, knew that there had to be Su- something. Susan, I'm not married. You're not? No. I'm a child. What? I'm a child, Susan. And I'm I'm not ready for all of this. Oh, that's fine. That is, that's just great. Well, you see what happened. No, I understand. I'm not ready to make it. Oh, no, no. I'm not ready to accept this. No, no, you don't understand. I mean, I'm 13 years old. Oh, and who isn't? You think that there isn't a frightened kid inside of me, too? No, I mean, I really am 13. I, I went to bed. See, oh. I went to bed one night, and I was a kid, and when I woke up the next morning, I was a grown-up. Oh, right. And just yesterday, I was a schoolgirl with pigtails. Yeah, I mean, I think he does what he can do with, like, again, I would like a lot more from this character, but if it wasn't written, then it wasn't written, and he can't just insert it. It's interesting that Penny Marshall had the kid who plays the younger version of him do every scene before Tom Hanks did it. And then Tom Hanks would kind of watch that performance. Really? And then, wow, yeah. interesting. And I, I think you can actually see that because so much of his performance does feel very natural um, to like how a kid would behave. Like it's not overplayed. I mean, there are moments where he's like kind of behaving silly, but in general, I felt like he seemed more like, a 12-year-old would really play this than, like, someone who's like, I'm going to be 12 and, like, be kind of silly, you know? Like, I thought his performance was kind of lived in in that way. Yeah, it wasn't, like, super theatrical even in the broad moments. Like, I, I did appreciate it. And it is, again, it's like Tom Hanks does his Tom Hanks thing. And I don't really say that to say that it's, like, narrow. He's got his lane and he generally has stayed in it the whole time. I thought that the part where he checks the size of his dick when he realizes he's big is exactly what someone would do. (laughs) Am I right? I'm not a guy, though. It it would take less than five seconds. (laughs) 
he plays that scene really well. Just like the look on his face. It isn't like, again, like overly broad where he's like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> he know? doesn't like triple take down there. <laughs> he just like sort of smirks and, and, and moves on. Yeah, I liked that as well. I also really liked Elizabeth Perkins in this movie. I have always really enjoyed her. Like, I think I think I first remembered seeing her like in Weeds, Weeds. but then I realized that I'd like I think I'd seen her in a lot of movies growing up. Come on, she's Wilma yeah, Flintstone. Exactly. I Iconic. saw she's Wilma. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. Wow. Yeah, and I didn't clock it as Elizabeth Perkins, but like I just always liked her presence on screen. I just always have thought she's no, great. she's great. And I when I put it together that she was the woman in Big after watching like Weeds, I think she was on Glow too. Um, I think so. Yeah, I was just like my mind. I was my mind was blown. <laughs> yeah, she's so she's so young and pretty in this movie with the red the reddish hair, red brown hair. Yeah, I think like her character is what makes me appreciate this movie as being like co written and directed by a woman because we've talked about a lot of eighties comedies where the female love interest is written really poorly often just kind of there to like kind of be a sex object or you know like back to the future she gets just like left in the car like we can't bother to bring her (laughs) or she's just a doormat or a springboard for men's fantasies right and this is i could easily see like a man writing this as like she's his secretary and she like spills the hot Mm -hmm. coffee in his lap on the first day or something yeah and instead she is like part of the executive team she's like his equal and I really appreciated that and just like little touches because she's dating John Hurd who's kind of his rival at work early in the film and then starts having feelings for him and like there's a scene where he's like complaining about Tom Hanks's character like one-upping him in, in a board meeting and she just has like this little smile on her face where you can like see her like being attracted to him and she's just kind of like that's nice you know that's mm-hmm. like her demeanor of like she's like you can tell she's not agreeing with him and I just really liked the way that her attraction to him started being played and yet there wasn't like big moments to call it out it just like grew and grew and grew and her performance was subtle but like always got the point across that like she was like changing for little by little is like oh she's intrigued by him yeah i really liked her performance in this and i just liked that she goes off and like spends the night but they are just in bunk beds and i forget what happens but like nothing really happens between them and then she breaks it off with john hurt like i just like that there wasn't this whole like subplot of her cheating and like then like you're with my girl you know like that was nice and a clean cut and now she can like date him it was just like a nice thing where a lesser movie would make her like two-timing and make her like oh i don't know what to do like i'm stuck in my relationship like that happens in a lot of movies yeah it's like instead she's like nope i'm ending my relationship and i'm going after what i want Yeah. yeah she's a woman who makes power moves What's this? What does it look like? Shampoo, razor, toothpaste, two neckties, and your exercise Susan. tape. Oh, and I want my keys back. Sure. It's just some scratches, honey. He'll get over them. Oh, that's, that's nothing to do with him. Well, come on, Susan. He's just another link in the chain. First it was uh, Tom Caulfield, then Hanlon, then Golding, then me. Am I missing somebody? It's not like that anymore. What is so special about Baskin? He's a grown-up. Um, there's a really good line in this movie, I think, when she says, John Hart is asking like something about like what she likes about Tom Hanks, and she's like, he's a grown-up. And I really liked that, because I think that really did get it, like the theme of this movie, that I think could have been developed more in other places, but 
is put in that place. It was like the like contrast between like as kids we tend to be our authentic selves and as adults we are often pretending to be kind of slightly different than we really are, especially at work. We're often pretending to be competent professionals that we don't actually believe that we are. And so I liked the way that it called out that like the reason she is interested in him and that like the boss is is attracted to him as like an employee is his authenticity and that that stems from being a kid and his openness yeah and he seems pretty confident with who he is he's just like here's my apartment this is this is what i'm into whereas i feel like yeah when you're older you get more self-conscious about those things i think that starts around when you're 12 though (laughs) so that's another thing of him acting a little bit younger my daughter is four and i think both of you can attest to this that every time you come (laughs) over she's like look at my room Yeah. These are all the things I have. These are my things. These are my, like, and Let so... Let me show you them. A very little kid is very confident about the things they like, and they don't know shame. They don't know insecurity. Do you think that if your daughter was suddenly in a 30-year-old body, she could get a job in corporate America today? <laughs> She'd be running Sony. Sadly, yes. Yeah. She would probably be further along in her career than most of us. She, they'd be like, oh, boss bitch. Like... <laughs> She knows what she wants. That's the name of her movie. The big remake is called Boss Bitch. This woman's perspective is so fresh and open and vulnerable to the world. It's like maybe on Arrested Development. Exactly. It's exactly like maybe. We just we just re-engineered maybe. Yeah, I thought it was really ironic that like the joke of this movie is that he is so juvenile in so many ways in the way that he dresses and like playing with toys in his apartment. And that is just what men are like now. <laughs> like playing with video games having toys and you know like yeah. pop culture stuff in their homes like all men do is collect funko pop eat hot chip and lie yeah yeah <laughs> this movie wouldn't work like directly anymore it would have to be like the opposite of like the kid is like what are you guys all playing with toys for like aren't, isn't anyone around here serious what about climate change and gun control <laughs> yeah. Tom Hanks turns into a responsible activist overnight. <laughs> like, his fashion is supposed to be so, like, ridiculous, and now it's like, that would be in GQ. Yeah, again, it was very... <laughs> like, wearing sneakers with a, like, blazer and stuff. This yeah. movie was more stylistically influential than I think it was given credit for. It definitely influenced me in my piano lessons of wanting to learn chopsticks your and giant Heart and piano Soul. Lessons? I can still play Heart and Soul. Did you take your lessons on a 30 foot wide? No, but I always did want that. I played piano from a very young age and I never wanted that. I was like, I have a difficult enough time getting my tiny little sausage fingers across like eight or nine keys that are regular sized. If I had to like stretch myself across, I would just pull myself in half. I mean, I'm also from New York, so like... F.E.O. Schwartz was definitely a thing. I was going to say, I remember going to New York and going to F.A.O. Schwartz and being so blown away. The theme song, the Welcome to Our World of Toys. Oh, God. It's so iconic. Yeah, we had F.A.O. Schwartz in Seattle, too. So I I definitely heard that song like every christmas we would go before christmas and it's it's the it's a small world it's just like another version of that i don't think that i would have such a connection to feo schwartz if not for this movie it like being in a famous scene in a famous movie and like i took my daughter to feo schwartz i took my husband to feo schwartz (laughs) for his first trip to new york (laughs) like it's like he instantly take over the boardroom (laughs) and redesign a transformer skyscraper are you 100 percent sure that he is not 12 years old (laughs) Not, not. So they've tried a few times to make a TV series based off of Big. 
It never really materialized into anything. I don't really know if we really need a big show. There was a stage adaptation that premiered on Broadway in 1996. Did Julie Taymor do that one too? No, Susan Stroman did. And she also directed the producers. So. Oh, okay. It was nominated for five Tonys, didn't win any. And I just knew it existed, but didn't remember it was from 1996. It really feels like a 2012 kind of thing because I think it was ahead of its time with turning movies into musicals. I didn't think that was really happening then, but now it's like every musical that comes out is based off of Mrs. Doubtfire or Mean Girls or Beetlejuice, some other 80s classic movie. Or not even a classic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you recommend Big to, I mean, there's a lot of younger people, I'm sure, that listen to this podcast and maybe they haven't seen it. Would Would you recommend it? I would. I wouldn't, like, go out of my way to recommend it because I think without the nostalgia for it, I'm not sure that it has a ton to offer, really. There's an extended edition that's two hours and ten minutes that I also watched. What's in that? Extra stuff. And so it does... it fixes some of the problems with like there's a little bit more with the mom like worrying early on are there like five sex scenes (laughs) they're not that (laughs) and not all of it needs to be like restored back into the movie but i do think that like slowing down the beginning and just like leaving a little bit more room for like things to develop instead of like having it be so like lightning fast that he makes all these decisions and like finds himself in corporate america i think that does that did help me like the movie a little bit more. So I, I wouldn't have minded just watching that one first because I I think I liked that version a little bit more. So maybe I'll recommend that one if you can. It's on the iTunes version if you, mm. if you want it. But yeah, I mean, in general, I guess if it's something that appeals to you, yeah, I think you'll have a good time. I wouldn't say like everyone needs to see this movie or that there's anything in it besides that one piano scene that's kind of become a like a very famous scene that like you really like have to see as like a a classic comedy moment or something like that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think young people today would get anything from this that they wouldn't get more of from other classic eighties comedies for one that are just funnier, but also from, you know, more recent movies that more connect with the ways that kids of this era see the world. You know, I I think it is one of those things where, like, just living in this, that, the time period of this story, not having the internet, just makes that character have a much, much world's different relationship to sex, (laughs) to (laughs) how to treat women, to uh, how to see, and how to see the world of adults that adults inhabit and how they live in the world, that I just think it, I, I don't know if, if I were that age now, I don't think I'd find this movie relatable. And that's all the giant piano keys we can step on in this episode of When We Were Young. On our next episode... We'll be talking about Tom Hanks's 1994 role in uh, Forrest Gump, which won him an Oscar. Have you heard of it? Have you heard of it, guys? No, Becky, no. <laughs> I believe I am familiar But this seat's taken. (laughs) The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcast product. You can follow us on all the social medias at www.yshow, and you can contribute to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash whenwewereyoung, so we can bring you more episodes. I have been Seth. I'm Becky. And I loved your ideas on the squeezy doll line. So incisive.
check out there. school.